electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Ahead on Fast, flying high and rolling the dice. Planes are jammed. Vegas is booming. And all of this despite inflation reaching new record highs. So how long can the good times last for airlines and casinos? Plus, it's been a rough stretch for Fang. The tech giants all sharply lower this month. As the group gets set to report earnings, is now the time to pounce. A fast pitch on Meta minutes away. And later, RVing across America. Winnebago shares popping today on a buy call. But one of our traders isn't buying what the street is trying to sell. We start off tonight with a sea of green on Wall Street today. The market seeming to shrug off record high reading on inflation. The S&P rising over percent. The Nasdaq up more than 2%. This even as producer prices rose a whopping 11.2% in March. But is this positive market action actually a bad sign? One of our traders says this could give license for the Fed to be even more aggressive. Brian Kelly, explain your contrarian thinking here. Yeah, well, I've had to do that a lot of times in my life. (laughs) But in terms of the stock market, what I'm thinking here is we talked about the consumer, right? Planes are packed. Vegas is packed. All these things. Spending hasn't stopped. But what the Federal Reserve wants is you not to spend. That's how they're going to control inflation. So they've been worried about this wealth effect. We've talked about that for the last 10 to 15 years, which translates into the Fed put. The stock market goes down too much. The Fed eases. They want it to go up so you feel wealthy again. Now it's the exact opposite. So in my view, the higher the stock market goes, the more likely the Fed is to be more aggressive with the rate hikes because they don't want you to spend. They have to get inflation down. And that's basically the notion that Bill Dudley put forth in his opinion piece last week, the notion that the side effects of what the Fed needs to do to the economy to slow it down should bring prices lower in the stock market. And yet we're seeing the exact opposite today, Karen. And on I'm not sure what, because yesterday the notion was peak inflation. That wasn't enough for market climb. And today it's peak inflation. And that's like off to the races here. Yeah, you're all worked up over this peak inflation. <laughs> we were talking about it before the show. I think that actually that Bill Dudley article is very interesting. I think that has been happening, not today. But if you look at the market since November, which is when they got rid of the transitory and started this idea of, you know what, we are going to start raising, get ready. And then we're going to start tightening the balance sheet. Since then, the market actually is down. Mm-hmm. It has rallied, of course, off the March lows. But um, I think the direction is still, I, I feel like, pressure on, on stocks. The one other thing, though, is the colliding of inflation with the reopen trade. There is still that pent-up demand, even though things are getting more expensive. People are dying to go out, and I think they're dying to spend money for now. They still have money. Well, isn't that a headwind for the Fed, though? I mean, that's sort of what we're, what we're getting at, right? So it's fighting a consumer who really, really wants to spend because they were not able to spend on these things for two years, Guy. And maybe the Fed has to work even harder, i.e., you know, hike more aggressively than we thought in order for, for these things to kind of simmer down. You got a lot of people uh, saying that. Listen, BK put it out there pretty eloquently. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned Bill Dudley. A lot of other people. Listen, look at Jamie Dimon's letter. 
A lot of people are, are sort of ringing the warning sirens, but nobody seems to, at least the market doesn't seem to care right now. We'll see. But in terms of the market, it gives the Fed, I think, a lot of air cover to do exactly what they should be doing. But I will point out that, you know, as hard as it is to get inflation, I think it's twice as hard to get rid of it. With all that said, I mean, there are sectors that have been working and continue to work. I mean, you had that brief sell-off in energy, once again, probably on the China shutdown and this, again, ridiculous, a word I'm choosing to use, release from the SPR, which any value is short-lived. I think energy is going to continue to work. I think the resource stocks continue to work. And, you know, despite Lilly being down today, I think Big Cap Farmer will continue to work in this environment. Yeah, Pete, what was your take on the market rally today? Yeah, it was pretty interesting, Mel, especially given what we had yesterday with that harsh sell-off that we had gotten. And it was just accelerated all the way through the close. And then you turn around today, and it's almost the exact opposite. I don't know that one day actually changes a lot, but it is something I know that we have plenty that we can chat about about it. But I think we have to see multiple days. We've got to see something where the markets actually do show us a little something more than just a single day, I think, to really be something that the Fed can hang their hat on and feel a lot more comfortable about what sort of rate that they want to go with these rate hikes. So I think that's something that we'll all keep a close eye on. There's a lot of reasons why we're looking at volatility still above 20. It's traded today just below 22, but we were above 24 yesterday. There's interesting volumes out there. To Guy's point, there are areas of, the, of this market that have been working that I think will continue to, to work. And that, in ter- basically, it's energy, it's materials. I think th- those are sectors where you can still see a lot more upside. Take a look at Nat Gas today. Nat Gas was up, what, 7% or something like that, or 5%, 5 or 6%. And then you look over at the price of oil. Crude, once again, not only back over 100, but now over 104. It just shows you that there is some resiliency there right now, I think, in some of these various commodities. You got to wonder when price increases are going to start uh, hurting or, or kicking in when it comes to consumer demand or end market demand. I mean, Fastenal, it's an earnings we don't often talk about, but it was an interesting earnings report today. It was a good report overall. They talked about raising prices, the ability to raise prices between 5 and 6% during the quarter. They also talked about input costs and shipping costs continuing to go higher in the first quarter and possibly the need to continue to raise prices as we go on, as, as the, the costs continue to rise. And we heard late in the day from Amazon saying it's going to impose a 5% surcharge on third-party sellers on its site because of, in part, fuel uh, charges, as well as you know, just warehousing and things like that, BK. I mean, it, it is working through here. It is, and this is the risk to the market. Now, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I know that the market is not pricing in this sticky inflation. We saw it today. Let's say today was what everybody called peak inflation, and we all decided on it. You saw global bonds uh, rise or yield sell-off go lower, right? You saw currencies, which you would have thought would have gone up when a central bank raised rates. They went down. So something changed in the market today, which tells me they're saying, hey, market's starting to price in. You know what? The more central banks raise rates, maybe we are going to get a recession. And what does the Fed do in recession? It eases. Therefore, we should buy bonds, right? But the risk in that is you get this sticky inflation and the Fed never eases, then you've got a real problem with stocks. So that's why you got to watch oil. I sort of think the, the, the resolution of this supply chain issue is going to be the thing that will break inflation from this level to where, I don't know. I don't think 2% is the, the terminal rate, if you will. But I do think that when the supply chain eases up, you will have, there will be retailers who have overordered 
and we'll have excess inventory, and then I think you will start to see prices come down. I had I had thought by the end, by where we are now, that the supply chain issues would have been resolved already. Right. Clearly, that hasn't happened, but I do think that phenomenon will exist when it does happen. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that part of the supply chain issue involves, you know, chip, chip supply, for instance, um, manufacturing being taken offline for various reasons. But now we're dealing with, uh, with bottlenecks that may not be resolved, even if Russia pulls out of Ukraine and there is a ceasefire tomorrow. I mean, all of all of what we're experiencing, not all of it, but a lot of what we're experiencing with energy, Guy, to your point in terms of where, where to be in the market, will not be resolved. There won't necessarily be an additional barrel on the market if Russia pulls out of Ukraine tomorrow. And that that's not going to help prices. Not at all. And I don't think you're suggesting this, so I'm not saying you are, but I, I happen to think that energy prices, I mean, maybe it would take a little longer to get here, but I think Russia, Ukraine just sort of sped up the process. I'm sure I'm in the minority on that one. But the fundamentals are in place for energy months, if not longer, uh, before Russia, Ukraine was even uh, a headline on a news on a news wire. So I just think the energy story is going to be here. It's going to be persistent. And prices take a long time to get, you know, they take a long time to abate. So I think we're looking at this. You know, we talk about peak inflation. I'll give you two words that also begin with P.E. That's both pesky and persistent. And I think inflation will be both for the foreseeable future. Yeah, persistent, sticky, whatever you want to call it. I think that that could be a huge problem, especially for consumers. Um, Pete, when you think about inflation and investing in an inflationary environment, people talk about inflation hedges. And then people also think about investing in the things that go up in an inflationary environment. Where would you rather be in an inflationary environment? Are, are you, you giving me a would I rather or are you just, am I, 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 am guess, I picking? Yeah, sure, or, or yeah, you... call it whatever you want. If you want to say would you rather, it makes you feel better. It makes you, you know, be able to think about it more clearly. Then absolutely, would you rather be in an inflation hedge or be in the things that you think will go higher because of inflation? I think I'd rather be in the, the things that are going to go higher with inflation. And, and, and you know, Guy, Guy hit the nail on the head. We've been talking about this with Ukraine, Russia. Obviously, that did give a little bit of a boost with energy prices, oil specifically. But I think the reality is that pace had already been set. And that was set nearly the day that Joe Biden became our president. And so it's something that, you know, it was just continuing on. And it had a nice big spike. Then that pulled back. I don't even know right now whether or not the Russia-Ukraine um, war, if we're, if we're calling it that, actually is still having that big of an influence on the price. I think we're now just sort of seeing the shift of where is the price of crude? And I think we're seeing exactly where it is, which is most likely going to stay over 100 for a while. I think the reality is this. When we talk about peak inflation, that's fine. But I think the reality is not only peak, but will we stay here for a while? I think too many people continue to interpret peak inflation to mean, well, you know, we hit this number and now we're just going to completely drop to the downside again. I don't believe that. I think we hang around here for a while. And I think how long that is, I have no idea. But I don't think it's something that we are suddenly within days or weeks are suddenly going to be pulling back. I think we're going to be at these levels for quite some time. And I think that's why we've got to trade knowing that inflation is here to stay. Brian Kelly, I'll put the question to you. Mm-hmm. Gold or oil? Oh, that's a superb mm. question because they traded together today. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to be in the belly of the beast. I'm long both of them, but I think you want to be long oil. I mean, look at how this thing has traded the last couple of days. We had the SPR auction yesterday. We had a huge inventory build today. Oil dropped for about 10 minutes and then absolutely ripped higher. 
bad news or bearish news, good price action, that's where you want to be. So if you're thinking about your portfolio and you're along a bunch of equities, let's call it tech, why not get some energy exposure as a hedge in case inflation doesn't start to peak? All right. Uh, bank earnings kicked off today, of course, with J.P. Morgan reporting results before the bell. The company posting a 42 percent drop in profits from a year earlier and a $524 million hit from market dislocations related to Russian sanctions. The stock falling more than 3 percent, trading at lows not seen since January. Karen, what's your take on why the stock is down? So a couple of things. first you said we opened at the sea of green. All I saw was red because I looked at J.P. Morgan <laughs> 50 times and it was red. So there was a lot of things that we expected, some positive. The net interest income was good. The net interest margin was actually good. Trading revenue was better. Investment banking revenue was terrible year over year, which all of that was expected. But the real crux of the story, why it was down, is something called OCI, Other Comprehensive Income. And so what that is, is let's just simplify if bank, if, if J.P. Morgan only had one loan on its books. It was a mortgage it made last year at three and a half percent. Well, rates have moved a lot. So the price of that loan will go down. If they wanted to sell it, the price would go down because rates are now higher. However, that loan is still good. The creditor is still paying. They're employed. Their, their wages are up and the value of the house is up. So the loan to value ratio is even better. However, you have to adjust on the it's actually on the on the balance sheet. And it's a hit to retained earnings, which is a hit to book value. So this charge will actually make them do buybacks slower. Mm -hmm. So that's not as good. I'd like them to do buybacks faster. Now, if rates move back a little, that, ACE, that OCI will go the other way. But that was the surprise, the magnitude of it. All the other stuff was noise. And I, you know, I love hearing what Jamie has. Well, I love Jamie, but I love hearing <laughs> what Jamie has to say about the economy and all of that. But that was a surprise to me. And, and this has me worried because I own a number of bank stocks. Bank America, are we going to see the same OCI hit? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the market reacts to the same news over and over again, even though now we should all expect that we're going to see this kind of charge again. So I am long City. I am long. Bank America is my biggest position. I am long Wells Fargo. Uh, I, th I think we'll see more of that. Hopefully the market won't, you know, continue to punish it. At some point I will buy more J.P. Morgan. Yeah. Guy, traditionally we've seen banks, they move together basically off the back of the first out of the gate or the first two out of the gate or so. And then they sort of, you know, they, they separate from each other. Do you think we'll see that here or do you think we're going to see what Karen's saying in terms of just again and again getting punished? I think you're going to see uh, banks separate. And I'd say, you know, Karen mentioned the hit to book value. Tangible book, people were expecting for J.P. Morgan, 72 and change. It came in 69 and change, which doesn't sound like a big deal. It happens to be a big deal, especially when valuations are in the crosshair. So you start doing the math. You know, is J.P. Morgan in this environment worthy of a two times tangible book? Well, if it is, it's a $140 stock. I think what the market is saying is maybe we have to ratchet this down and take a fresh look. In terms of uh, other banks separating themselves, I mentioned yesterday, I'll mention again today, Pete was on the overtime the other day talking about Goldman Sachs, the huge sell-off that stock has seen, and how cheap that is in terms of a book value, tangible book value. I'm with them. I think you could actually see Goldman and Morgan Stanley rally in this environment, and J.P. Morgan and some of the more traditional banks sell off. 
Well, Pete's been talking about gold, Goldman Sachs for a while. I, mean, I talked to Pete on the halftime on Friday about GS, and then I heard Pete on the halftime yep. overtime yesterday on GS, and here he is on FM, <laughs> Goldman Sachs. But, but Pete, are you, are you concerned at all about, you know, what we're going to be seeing in terms of declines year on year in some of these trading and sort of, quote, unquote, Wall Street businesses? I mean, Mike Mayo was talking about how he prefers Main Street banking over Wall Street banking. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. No, I, you know what? I look at Goldman Sachs, and because of the fact that they're less of a bank, I mean, we always put it in that category, right, Mel? I mean, everything's a bank. But, you know, it's a financial, and, and I think, you know, they've got their own issues that they've got to deal with. But I think, quite honestly, I think Goldman could surprise people. I think it could surprise to the upside, actually. We'll see, obviously, tomorrow is their earnings. But, you know, the reality is this. It was at 52-week lows. That was just one thing. That's really meaningless, to be honest with you. It was more about the fact that Guy just talked about tangible book. What is it, one? It was one just the other day. Maybe it's one, one now or something like that. And meanwhile, I look over at Jamie Dimon. Everybody's been puzzled for so long about why is J.P. Morgan falling down after being up there at over 160, 165. It just got too expensive, and I still, and I agree with Guy, it's still expensive. I'm looking at it, whether it's 1.8 or a two-point tangible book, either way, it's a very expensive play right now, given especially what they reported on. Now, that we knew that some of those numbers were going to be bad, Mel, there's no doubt about it. Goldman Sachs will have some numbers that are not going to be pretty either. But I think generally you can see that Goldman Sachs is, I think, still the Goldman Sachs of old, and they're going to give us a big number. All right. Coming up, record high inflation, earnings season, recession fears. What's the number one worry on investors' minds? We'll ask LFS Sally Krawcheck what she is hearing from her clients. But first, up, up, and away, shares of Delta Airlines soaring as her CEO says things are phenomenal. Do our traders agree? That trade and much more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Airline stocks getting altitude today. Delta posting a strong quarter and the rest of the group taking off too. Let's get to our Phil LeBeau with more. Phil. Hey, Melissa, this is a testament to just how many people want to get out and go right now, whether it's leisure or for business. They are traveling, and it's not just that the numbers were better than expected in the first quarter for Delta. It's the guidance. That's the reason Delta shares and really all of the airline stocks moved higher today. Look at what Delta is saying about its outlook for the spring and the summer. Very strong demand. They are also seeing more people when they are booking. They're not just getting the basic economy ticket. No, more of them are going with a premium cabin option. And that's why the Q2 profit margin guide, 12 to 14 percent, way above what most analysts were expecting. They were expecting low to mid single digits. 
And this is why when you listen to Ed Bastian, he says this is a great time for the industry and particularly for Delta as they head into the summer. The demand is phenomenal. We've never seen in our company's history demand for our product and services at the level we are. In the month of March, we had the highest sales in terms of bookings of any month in our history. And let's put this into some perspective. In March, the revenue for Delta topped monthly revenue since before the pandemic. Not just it was pre-pandemic levels, it was better than months before the pandemic. That's an indication of just how strong the demand is out there right now. Nonetheless, there are some headwinds, not just for Delta, but for all of the airlines right now. Jet fuel, it's high, it's expected to remain high. At the same time, there's the challenge of adding staff. Delta has hired 14,000, 14,000 workers in the last year and a half. They're gonna be adding more. All the airlines are trying to ramp up because they've gotta add more flights. Two airlines we're gonna be focused on next week as they report their quarterly results. You've got United and you've got American. We'll be talking with the CEOs of those airlines. We're showing you JetBlue here because we were talking about the fact the challenge of staffing, Melissa. They trimmed their schedule from what they originally planned for the summer because they don't want to, they don't want to run into the problems of not having the staff to meet the plans that are uh, going to be out there. So they're trimming their schedule. And we're going to be talking about this with both the American and the United CEOs next week. A big start to the uh, earnings season for the airlines. Make no mistake, and, and we see it here in the airport in Atlanta, people are getting out and going, and they want to travel. There's no doubt about that. They do, Phil, and I'm going to ask you a potentially stupid question. You'll probably scratch your head at first when you hear it, but is there any sort of talk about, I don't want to say pull forward effect because that's not the case when you make a trip, but sort of spending a lot right now and spending out of that travel budget for the year yep. and not seeing that that trip later on that you might normally see because you can travel right now and people are going right now. We, Ed Bastian was at, we asked him about that, and he was asked about that during the conference call. Will we see changes in the pattern that we usually see, which is a big peak in spring and summer, and then it falls off in the fall, and maybe you get the holidays where there's another surge. He thinks it's going to actually potentially flatten out a bit, that not only do a lot of people want to go right now, but they're also going to be going in the fall. So we may not see the peaks and valleys that we usually see, that historically we see with the airlines. It may moderate a little bit. To your point, Melissa, the big concern within the industry is a lot of people are out there right now. What happens in nine months or a year from now? Now we've taken that trip. We've gone out and spent our money. If inflation is still there, if they're still feeling that impact, will they spend as much when they want to travel? That's the big question that's out there. Yep. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Atlanta for us. Um, Pete Najarian, you go, go, go wherever. I know that for a fact. Our viewers know that. Um, but what are you thinking in terms of the airlines and whether people will keep up this pace of travel? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Mel. I thought that was a great question, actually. I mean, the biggest concern I would have is, is the demand. Is that sustainable? And you know what? I know that they're projecting, yes, that it will be. But I, I'm, I really do wonder about that, Mel. On top of that, how about the fuel cost? How about all the labor costs? All those things, I think, are factors that go into, you know, what's next for the airlines. They've had a great run, and I own jets. I, I actually own some calls in, in Southwest. I own some in, in JetBlue as well. But I think the, the reality is, are we at a, a peak right now because of the fact that people finally got an opportunity to get back in the plane, spring break, all of those different things? Are they going to be traveling now as we get into the summertime? I think that's a very interesting question. I, do, I don't know the answer to it, but I'm a little bit cautious because of it. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting about all of these airlines. If you look at the way they've traded, they've basically been sideways for the last six months or so in these channels. We're now popping up above the top or right at the top of those things. So there's some resistance there. So even if you think that this is going to be a sustainable trend, you may want to wait a little bit and see how these things trade and get some of that froth out because, you know, you're not going to miss it. It's not like these things are at 52 week highs and they're going higher. If this really is a sustainable trend, you got a long runway here. So why not wait a bit, let it pull back, and, and get some froth out? All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Please keep your hands and feet inside at all times because big tech is on a roller coaster ride. Should you buckle in for more, or is it time to head for the exits? The outlook on the fang names ahead. Plus, on the road again. One Wall Street firm says you should drive right into this name. That trade next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Markets rebounding today after three days of losses and the continued volatility had us wondering how the retail investor is looking at the moves. Here to discuss that is Sally Krawcheck, co-founder and CEO of Elevest, which just announced a new run, a round of funding. Sally, welcome Woo! to this set. I know. Congratulations on, on the latest funding round. Thank $53 million you. in Series B. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I do want to ask you what the mindset of the retail investor is at this point and if yeah. they are shying away from the markets, that they're investing through, what's going on? Yeah, well, what we're seeing at Elevest is you may have heard the research that women tend to stand a bit more firm than men during market volatility. And just as we saw in the pandemic-related downturn, we're seeing net inflows every week where the women are, you know, the attrition rate remains low. They're continuing to put assets to work, mostly because they have recurring deposits. So it's a set it and forget it. Mm -hmm. Are they investing in different things under the surface? Nope. Um, diversified investment portfolios in order to achieve their goals. Of course, we get questions about, should I invest in crypto? Should I invest in this Bitcoin? But in general, it's I have goals, I want to achieve them, and this is a diversified investment portfolio that I hope will get me there. So I'm curious, when you see a very big down day or a very big up day, does that change the flow? Is it, is it a contraindicator? What happens? No. Um, you know, in fact, I even, we put out so much work, Karen, on stay the course, stand your ground, recurring deposit. If you are so fortunate to invest in a down market, you know, historically, you would have always won, right? That if you put your money to work in the, mar in the equity market on a 15-year period, 99% of the time since the 1920s, you had a positive return. And if you had recurring deposits, it was 100% of the time. And so that kind of messaging of don't freak out 
over it and just keep on moving has been such a winner historically. Sal, you've done an amazing job of sort of demystifying this for people. Speak to how important it is, specifically your client base, to feel empowered. And, you know, they're probably talking to friends and bringing in family members and your community continues to grow. Can you speak to that? Yeah, well, first, Guy, I'd like to address the word empowered, because I would actually argue that women do not need to be empowered that they have power and they just need to recognize it. And part of that power is the majority of their money is sitting in a bank account, which is not good in most times, but of course in an inflationary environment is even worse. And so with Elevest being founded as really the company, the investing company built by women for women, we talk directly to them and about issues that really affect them, like the fact they're probably gonna live longer. Some 80% of women die single, 90% manage their money on their own at some point in their lives. And so having those conversations with them and having them really feel seen and having a product, we spent two years doing research on women to really build the product around them, enables them to begin to invest with confidence. And part of the reason our growth is accelerating is then they tell, they tell someone and they tell someone and they tell someone. Um, with the money that you raised, it, according to my notes, you're going to be hiring people. It's time to sort of grow the platform, expand. Um, and I'm wondering what you saw during the pandemic, because we saw a wave of retail investors join the market. And we, yeah. we here on Fast at least, we've talked about them um, in the context of Reddit investors, yep. meme stock investors. Um, and not to say that a cohort of those investors are not your client base either. It certainly can yeah. be complimentary. But what have you seen? We saw during you know that the meme stock, we saw some customers sort of wash in and wash out. Mm -hmm. But what they actually asked us for during the pandemic, you're, you're not going to believe this, is I want a career coach. I know, I know, I did the same thing. I'm like, really? what? You know we're an investing firm. And essentially when you look at research around women and money, they're like, I wanna earn more at work. And most companies then are like, yeah, but would you like a high interest rate checking account? Right. And so my team said, we need to hire some career coaches. And I said, well, we'll test anything. And that thing has taken off. And so what we've learned about women is they tend to think about money holistically. If I trust you as a financial advisor, can you help me earn more? Can you help save more? Can you help me spend less? Can you help me invest more? And so that's you know where we're putting quite a bit of this money is career coaches, certified financial planners, private wealth advisors, in addition to investing in the core business. And I would ima imagine that makes the customer that much stickier. Oh, yeah. Well, and with your look, platform. our goal is not to be a product. Our goal is to be there for women and money, college to crypt, mm -hmm. to really just surround her as she goes through her money journey. Sally, it's always great to have you. Thank, Thank you. you. Good to be here. Come by again. Sally Krawcheck of Elevest. Um, Brian Kelly, we talk about a lot of sort of robo-investors, investing platforms in the context of, you know, let's say a Morgan Stanley, et cetera. But this is a very different this is, offering. Right. This is very bespoke, right? And, and I think it's, it's, it's really amazing what Sally's been doing with this because it is not just about, hey, have a 60-40 portfolio and, and we'll talk to you at the end of the year. Here's, here's your statement, right? She's talking about doing the entire life cycle planning of it, which is a real niche. And it's a, clearly, based on her success, something that is needed out there. Yeah. I'm really thrilled with that $53 million raise, right? Yeah. I think it's, just, I know how hard it is to raise money and just to get it done in that environment. And, you know, meanwhile, FinTech is trading not great, as I'm sure you saw, and yet you were able to do it. Now, I, I, just full disclosure, I am an investor in Elevest. So, I know, I think Sally's the best. So, I, I mean, fantastic.
She's got a lot of fans on the set um, and <laughs> out there, remote traders. Uh, meantime, let's move on. Winnebago popping nearly 3% today after DA Davidson initiated the stock with a buy rating, saying the company's market, market share has accelerated over the past month. Shares of the RV maker are still down more than 25% year to date. It's interesting if you think about something like a Winnebago, like an RV. It's a giant hunk of metal that you you know, ride around in, you generally finance it at a time when rates are rising, and you put a lot of gasoline in at a time when, when gas costs a lot of money, Karen. Yes, all of those things are so true. I look, I think we are in peak Bago. I feel like we pulled <laughs> forward all of that Winnebago demand. They're still talking about you know, rising revenue or, or not not collapsing revenue. But I'm, I'm far more pessimistic. One of the things that they showed in this research report it, which is enticing because the P.E. is really low and the balance sheet's good. Right. But even a value investor like me, no thank you, because it showed used prices going way down. And that is oh. the beginning before used prices for other vendors, not Winnebago, for Thor. But it doesn't matter. If used prices go down, new prices will go down. So I, I'm, it's a no touch for me. All right. Coming up, gapping higher. What is sending shares of this retailer into rally mode? The details and the trade straight ahead. Plus, it's a beautiful day in New York for some baseball. Guys, Yankees are home tonight, so we've got a fast pitch for you. Our pitchers warming up in the bullpen, getting ready to throw some heat. The name and more when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Fang stocks breaking multi-day losing streaks. Meta, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet rebounding today. Amazon seeing the biggest bounce while Meta barely made it into the green. Our next guest says there's some opportunity in one of these names. Money manager Lizzie Evans of Evans May Wealth is taking the mound for her fast pitch. So, Lizzie, why do you like the company formerly known as Facebook? Thank you, Melissa. I'm excited to be here today. First, Meta has extremely healthy financials, and it's trading at a very compelling valuation. It's 44% off its 52-week high, with a forward PE of 17.3 times. Compare that to its five-year historical average of 24 times. I think this is a rare opportunity to buy, for investors to buy at price levels we have not seen since 2018. Not to mention that Meta is an absolute cash cow. They had $48 billion of cash at the end of the year, no debt, and they're boasting a free cash flow yield of 6.2%, and they're aggressively buying back shares. This is the type of financial profile I really like in today's market. Next, right, Meta... Go ahead, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. They're, they're, Meta is very well positioned in the and the themes of tomorrow. Melissa, one stat I, I absolutely love is that they have, if you look at their family of apps, there's 3.6 billion monthly active users. Out of 4.6 people, 4.6 billion people around the world that have access to the internet. So if you think about that, they've penetrated 77% of their total addressable market at a point in time when digital advertising budgets are expected to be up 16.2% this year. And last, but certainly not least, Mark Zuckerberg. Love him or hate him, the guy is a fierce competitor. And I agree with Jim Cramer's point that Zuckerberg is Meta's secret weapon. So I really think that the company's at an inflection point. And I think we're going to see him pull off a trifecta here. I think you're going to see them transition and monetize reels. 
think they'll overcome the Apple privacy challenges. And longer term, I think we'll see a transition to Web 3.0 and the metaverse. All right, uh, Pete, you got a question for Lizzie? Sure, Lizzie, quick question for you. I agree with almost everything you were saying there, but the only concern that I have, and I'm just curious how concerned you are about the cost, the absolute cost that we're talking about in billions of dollars that, that Mark Zuckerberg is putting into the metaverse. That is something that is an investment now that will not pay out for many, many years. Are you okay with that? I am. If you, you know, you think about you think about Meta. It's it's a great question. You know, it's a t- it was a ten billion dollar drag on their 2021 operating profit. What people aren't talking about it was a six point six billion dollar drag on the 2020 operating profit. But year over year, the operating margins have improved. So you know, every company has short term, medium term, long term goals. Meta's in the business of connecting people. I think. This is a long-term goal, and it absolutely makes sense that they're investing in it, and they're on the forefront. Lizzie, thanks for coming on Fast. We appreciate it. Lizzie Evans. Thank you for having me. All right. It is time for our traders to vote. Are you buying Lizzie's pitch on Meta? Guy, what do you say? Can you read my uh, smart board for me, please, Melissa Lee? Are you able to read that? (laughs) I'll make it. Jimmy Chitwood, hashtag GSB. Yeah, well, Jimmy Chitwood, of course, you know that uh, was in the movie Hoosiers. I mentioned that because Lizzie Hale's from Indiana, and I think she did exactly that. She drained the winning bucket here into earnings on the 27th. I think you want to stay long Facebook. All right. Um, <laughs> BK, what do you say? You know, for me, it's a big old no to Zuckbox. And I'll give you two, two reasons why. Lizzie talked about 77% penetration of their total addressable market. This thing's all about network effect. They already have the network. It's already grown. Number two, I think those uh, estimates on operating earnings for the metaverse are way too high. No way they're going to get 47% margins. All right. Split so far. Pete, what do you say? I'm a buyer. I've owned this thing since the very beginning, Mel. I'll continue to own it. I think Zuck is going to be a genius with this metaverse. They have the cash to do it. It's a buy. Karen. Yes. I, that's actually thumbs up, which is unrecognizable as a symbol. You have me at low PE, cash cow, free cash flow yield, all of that. I love it. I'm long. Clearly, it hasn't worked this year, but I, I agree with everything she said, all right. including well, and in the. <laughs> the traders have spoken. So are you out there buying Lizzie's pitch on Meta? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll bring you the results later on in the show. Coming up. No gap in these gains. Shares of the retailer surging more than 8% today. We'll tell you what had investors giving this one a try on. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Gap topping the tape, looking in its uh, looking at its best day. I shouldn't say locking in its best day since January 2021 <laughs> on rumors of potential activist movement in the name. According to a report, activists could be looking to spin off brands, including its athleisure wear brand, Athleta. Two activist firms, Lakewood Capital and D.E. Shaw, already both hold small stakes in the name. Um, Pete, you saw some call buying in this one? We did, Mel. And when you take a look at the short interest, this kind of brings you back to the days of AMC and some of these others. It's not quite that big, but quite honestly, when you're seeing 18% of float and, you know, it really is some pretty high numbers where we're talking about in terms of the short interest. We did see some call buying in there as well, right out of the gate, right as soon as we got that opening bell, they came in and they they were buying very, very aggressively. The April 14 calls, just so you know, those expire tomorrow. They were already in the money at the time they were buying them. So, 
Very interesting to see this, and they got a pretty nice squeeze today. I don't know if people took it off or not. It didn't look like it, but that was definitely interesting as that stock actually exploded to the upside early. You shave off Athleta, Karen, and the rest of it doesn't look that great. Yeah, I wouldn't think that management would want to do that. I mean, yeah. maybe, you know, with a small stake, it's going to be hard for them to force them to do that. But um, the, I can't believe they options that many trade for tomorrow. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. That's that's fast money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from shopping to semis, Taiwan Semi is on deck to report quarterly results overnight. Despite the recent pain in the chip sector, options traders are feeling bullish on this name. Tony Zhang joins us to break down the action. Tony. Yeah, that's right, Melissa. They report earnings tomorrow, and options were very active, trading more than three times the average daily volume. And the options market right now is implying a pretty sizable move, about 4.7% versus the average we've seen over the last eight quarters of only 3.5%. And one trader took out a fairly simple but sizable bullish trade, buying 6,000 contracts of the April 28th 109 calls for an average price of about 97 cents and an additional 3,000 contracts of the April 28th 110 calls for about 99 cents. This is laying out just shy of a million dollars in premium to take a fairly bullish bet, betting that Taiwan Semiconductors will rally roughly 10%, at least 10% over the next two weeks. Guy, you're saying this is going to be a very important one to watch. I think it's huge. I think it really could tell the tale for semis over the next couple of months. I mean, Taiwan Semi, like it or not, I think it's most important, one of the most important companies in the world. Stock's off 30% since that high we made back in January. I think the setup is really good in the earnings, but they better beat and raise, in my opinion, for this stock to have that 10% move. But in terms of what it means for semis going forward, I think you absolutely have to have this on your screen over the next couple of days. All right, Tony, thank you. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. Um, that will be next Friday, not this one, next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, casino stocks winning big, but is inflation about to make Vegas go bust? We've got the details next. And there is still time to vote on Lizzie Evans' fast pitch. Are you buying Meta? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out casino stocks on fire today, but the luck may be running out as inflation hits the Vegas Strip. Contessa Brewer's got all the details. Hi, Contessa. Yeah, Melissa, that was a good day for the gaming stocks, but boy, have they been punished this year in spite of a first quarter that will likely set all-time records. Las Vegas average daily rates have been setting new records every month for a year. But look at the biggest operators on the strip here. Caesars down 25% year-to-date. MGM Resorts off by nearly 8%. Group business, of course, is rebounding. The Las Vegas Convention Center said it booked a record number of shows. International travel's coming back. Leisure travel, of course, lifted Las Vegas to record-setting profit margins last year. Can it last, though? Inflation is a real worry. Gaming CEOs see that and rate hikes as the biggest challenge this year, according to a survey that will be released next week by the American Gaming Association. Derek Stevens owns the private Circa Casino in downtown Las Vegas. He says, look, they're just starting to see the impact from high gas prices on the drive-in crowd. His telltale metric, shrinking ATM withdrawals. Gaming analyst Melissa, though, tell me that historically there's not a lot of correlation between fuel costs and gaming revenue. And so far, other big operators say they're just not seeing any impact. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Guy Dami, I mean, all of the reopening trade today was on fire. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the casinos, the back half of the year, that's something we said late last year, that the second half of 2022, I thought casinos, airlines, all these travel-related names would have huge bids to them. And I'm going to stand by that. Listen, Wynn was $143 stock right before the pandemic hit in January of 2020. And I'm not suggesting it should be there. It's going to get back there. But it could easily sort of pair some of those losses I think all these things are sort of hair-triggered to go higher. I think win is the name. It's also the W in my dawn trade, as you know. Yeah, obviously. Avi, um, Pete, where, which gaming stock do you like? <laughs> um, I got to, oh, man, the dawn trade, yeah. Uh, win in Las Vegas Sands, the biggest problem is their exposure to Macau, Mel. The, the percentage of their revenue that come from there is absolutely what's weighing on those stocks, especially with what, what's going on even right now as we speak. So, once that does reopen, I, I definitely agree with Guy that that can take off to the upside. I, as I look at those names out there, I don't know. Caesars, some of those are pretty interesting. I got to go with the big boys. I'd go with Las Vegas Sands most likely. You know what you do with these? What? You sell them, and then once you're done, you sell them again. Both of you guys sold to you. These things have been dead money for a long time. If you're worried about airlines and the fact that that uh, might not be sustainable, if you're worried about Winnebago's and gas prices going up, you should be worried about casinos sold to all of you. Really? Okay, so let's say you want to be in the reopen trade, Karen. Mm-hmm. What, yes. what uh, stock would you choose? Well, I have a couple. I have Live Nation. Mm-hmm. And I have Ulta, and I actually sold some calls yesterday of Ulta. The 425s of May were, I don't know, $19, which seems like a lot of upside priced in yeah. for a great reopen. So that's my, that's my pairs trade, I guess. Long Ulta, short the calls against it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, by the way, we have just a few minutes left to vote for Lizzie Evans' fast pitch. So are you buying Meta? Go to Twitter. Go to our poll at CNBC Fast Money. we got the results and final trades next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out if the viewers at home are buying Lizzie Evans' fast pitch on Meta. It was a very, very close one. But voters were not buying what Lizzie was selling. 52% said no, and that's probably because three of our traders liked the stock. <laughs> it is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. That works without fail, by the way, the contrarian indicator. Pete Najarian, what do you say? Final trade. I'm going to go with uh, commodity. I'm going to go with gold, GDX. I think it's going higher, and I think these miners are going to explode to the upside. Guy Dami. Newmont Mining all-time high to Pete's point. I know you missed the Jimmy Chitwood thing, Melms. That's okay. Levered <laughs> Energy, PSX. Karen Feinerman. Yes, I'm going with Lizzie and 48% of our viewing audience, I guess. Um, I like Meta for all the reasons she said, valuation mainly. Brian Kelly. You know, Pete mentioned some shiny rocks there, and, you know, I don't have the bank account that Pete does, so I got to go to the poor man's gold. Silver, both of those actually looked really nice today, traded well with oil, good hedge in your portfolio. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.